Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 17, and I am joined by the wonderful and lovely returning guest Jessica Greco. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're here watching Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I have seen this movie probably a million times. <laughs> Roughly a million times. And I'm here with? Uh, Jessica Greco, who has never seen this movie uh, and has been waiting to watch it with you for a few years It's now. true. It worked out really well. We had other people lined up tonight and they had to fall away for various reasons, but I love that it just ended up being us. I do too. It was kind of, it was kind of meant to be. I think we decided in Park City that we were going to watch it together, just the two of us. And then when other people were going to be here, I was like, that's cool. I like those people. You sabotaged them, didn't you? No, I did. I did. I poisoned them all. No, well, actually, I was kind of excited because, as you've said to me previously, a lot of times it's a lot of dudes in these podcasts, and they were women who were supposed to be joining us. It was supposed to be an an all-women podcast. Which I was kind of stoked about, but... We'll get another one It's just me and Jer. They they lose. I win. That's true. Um... It's fine. A lot of people were surprised I didn't have this as my first episode. Because you're so passionate about it. It's I'm not really the kind of person that has a favorite film. Because Except. I think because no, because I feel like it changes all the time of based course. on the kind of mood you're in. I agree. But if there's a movie I can just pop in and just love from beginning to end, it's this one. No pressure. <laughs> Well, I have my own reticence, right? Because I have my own... I'm choosing to watch this with you because you love it and you have, like, built it up for me. But the whole Woody Allen thing for me is a very murky situation. And we can discuss that. Yeah. However, I went to the same theater school as Diane Keaton, and I am a a big Diane Keaton fan. And she... I think it was she was sort of not fresh out of theater school, but this this was uh, this is one of those movies that they talked about in theater school and her work in it specifically. Mm-hmm. Now, well, we can get into it. Like this doesn't ruin the movie. So the history of this is in their this is kind of about their relationship because mm-hmm. they dated for a number of years. Uh, they had met when he had written a play that they made a movie of that my, is. Uh, people are screaming at me right now that they listen to this that I, for some reason I can't um, so think of it. So oh, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a playoff of Casablanca. So embarrassing. Stop it, you <laughs> goddammit. Anyway, I'm going to let it. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's a throwaway of uh, a Casablanca line. Here's looking at you, kid. It's not that. It's something Played I'm Played Against Sam? Yeah, Played Against Sam is the name of the play. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, and they did make a movie, Herbert Ross made a movie out of it, starring the two of them. Mm-hmm. And they originated the roles. Um, and so that's how they first met, and then he just stole her and put her in everything, and, and they were in love. And and she always idolized him and thought that he was too good for her. Right. Know? Which is hilarious, because she's one of the most lovely people ever. In so many ways, right? In, mm-hmm. all, in all the ways. Um, so this is kind of about their relationship. Okay. Um... And and it's and it's widely kind of acknowledged that he discovered her as much as anyone can discover anybody. So this is before the Godfather. And... No, Godfather was before. Godfather was seventy two. I was gonna say so 
but he gets the credit for discovering. No, no, no. But you got, you got to remember, this is not the first film they did together. Oh, I see. Sorry. Yes. Right. So they'd okay. already done. Um, she wasn't in Bananas, but she was in Love and Death, and uh, in Tears. So they'd been together at that point. But he discovered her for, for the play that they had done, right. right? And then she went off and did and did. Godfather was seventy two, I believe. And this is seventy seven. It was so. early seventies. Yeah. Yeah. By this point, they had long broken up. Oh, I see. Um, but they were still working together. They were still good friends. They had a very healthy relationship. One would assume. Um, but to give you a context of the time, so 1977, this movie won Best Picture, mm-hmm. um, one of the few comedies to ever do that. Mm-hmm. It beat, do you know what movie it beat? Should I guess? Um, Cabaret. Star Wars. Really? Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture. Okay. Because you have to remember, Star Wars was the first of its kind. Oh, absolutely. So it was a completely unique thing mm-hmm. right what a good year for film yeah it, it, it's almost swept the top categories the only thing it didn't win was best actor it went to mr mr to richard dreyfus for the mr. Good, richard dreyfus. mr richard dreyfus for the goodbye girl but other than that she won he won for directing and screenplay and it won best picture as well wow um and he did not attend because he was playing clarinet at michael's which he does every monday night <laughs> or clarinet is that what he plays I think he's a clarinet player. I like that you're asking the audience like they're going to respond they might. to you. Some people are. There's nerds out there. Anyway, uh, that said, now that I've given you your history, now that I've mansplained Annie Hall to you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about the movie? Um, that Diane Keaton wore a lot of vests. Mm-hmm. Um, she designed her own wardrobe for the movie. A lot of sort of uh, androgynous clothes that went on to shape style for decades after I knew that they were a couple at some point I know that it's a comedy uh I know very little great yeah great so that's a good place to stop I mean I can start making stuff up about what I know no it's not there okay it's a good place to stop sharks because I've got a million things I can fill you in on or we can watch the movie no that's what I mean like after okay once we've watched it and then we have a context for some of these things cool um yeah alright let's watch it Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we've just finished. We just finished. <laughs> and we haven't said anything really. No, no, I just went to the bathroom. That's all that's happened. It's all you. <laughs> You're dying. No, I'm just curious. I I found it very charming. I did. I find. I mean, I found her. She's Unbelievably delightful. watchable. Yeah. yeah. She's completely delightful. He, outside of being Woody Allen, there sure, were just sure. things that bothered me, which I think is probably kind of the point. I mean, he's a damaged, kind the, that unlikable, charming guy. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think you can look, and it's interesting watching with you and just like kind of feeding off of how you're feeling and just, you know, you... You, you react when you watch movies. I, I am very reactionary. Yeah. But it's great because it's like, because he is, he does come off as off-putting in certain sections. Yeah. But he's aware of it. The, the movie's aware of it. Well, it's, he's it, self-loathing. Yeah. And you, and what's interesting when you, when you kind of, and, and it made me watch the movie in a different way watching with you. Because just going, is he a terrible person? And is that okay? Is it a product of the time? You know, he's, he's making some nagging comments here and there. But... You know, the more, and as you watch this, like, he's totally aware of it. 
the movie uh, the movie is is aware of it. They're, it's not trying to ever ever uh, make it okay because mm. anytime he does something kind of shitty, <coughs> he pays for it. Right. You know. Um, you know the fact that he insults her intelligence comes back because she becomes a really smart woman. Mm-hmm. You know she gets she educates herself in ways that she wasn't at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, I might have way more, but I want to hear. Yeah, I mean, for me, it just, it, like, it was that thing of, um, she's so taken with him in the beginning. Like, she makes all the first yeah. moves, essentially. And that's almost what makes up for whatever downsize is, because of how she feels. And you love her so much. Yes, except that the longer the relationships goes on, the more she's sort of poisoned by his negativity. Yeah. And he's just such a bad partner. And you go through his past relationships and realize, yeah, no, he's just a bad partner. And then he finds this truly jubilant, um, free spirit. And although he's kind of taken with her, he kind of seems like he could take or leave her until he's like professing her, his love under the Brooklyn bridge in this overly cutesy way. It's sort of like, it feels a little like locking down something really good, like making a, a smart move of being yeah. like, you love me, right? You love me? Say it. Say it. Say it. You love me. And she's like, I get, yeah. Yeah, I do. Maybe. Oh, but I believe in that moment she genuinely believes it. But she's also nervous. You see that all throughout the beginning, Totally, right? but he sort of recognizes that she is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and she's, like, you know, new in town, and he's different from anyone she's known before. And, and uh, Grammy would call you a real Jew. Grammy would call you a real Jew. Um, and that's what's amazing about her performance. Uh, because she has that really bubbliness to her. But when we first meet her, that's not who we meet. We meet, like... The, the version of Annie who's a bit, not jaded, but tired and frustrated. Worn down is Worn down, what it yeah. feels like. like she's, and then you see later in the movie the conversation she has with her therapist where she's sort of like, I feel so torn. Like he's paying for my analysis and, um, and I really do you know love him, but I'm not happy. Like this is not good. I don't want to have sex with him. I want to think my own thoughts. I want to be a free person. And then there's that whole bit in the middle where, like, he... You know what's cool about that particular scene? Just the split screen is right. actually a set. Oh, really? That's how they did the overlap. They, oh, really? Uh, it's just a nerdy little... <laughs> sorry. Back to your comment. I don't remember what my comment I'm so sorry. That's I, okay. I, I wanted to... Oh, just... It was about the, the polygamy of their relationship. How he gets so uptight about the fact that... She, she he saw her walking down the street with her arms around her professor and he, she's like but you never wanted to be serious with me yeah and then by the end of the movie he's like so we'll get married she no no yeah but we'll get married like he's just i got on a plane obviously we're going to get married yeah i mean what i think redeems the his character in the movie is how aware he is of the terribleness of that even the fact that he writes a play where it ends well for them. Right. He's like, yeah, I know, I get it. It's shitty writing. <laughs> he has that very self-aware moment to the audience. Um, oh, that's so interesting. What you see as being like self-aware, I see as being like self-indulgent. It's that too, you know. But for me, it's like I watch it, and I and just from having, especially through this podcast, just rewatching a lot of movies that are older. You know, mm-hmm. this movie is, uh, you know, forty years old now. Um, and they don't necessarily age well in terms of the gender roles and relationships Mm -hmm. and how people are treated. Um, 
And as much as this is very much a product of his time, in terms of that, it's better than a lot of stuff that's coming out of that era in terms of the treatment and how acceptable... Because a lot of that stuff's played off as jokes, the way he talks to her and treats her. Right. You know, where now you're watching like... Rrr. You know, through, through the gaze of, you know, 2017, mm-hmm. we know, you know, we are more accepting of the fact... Not accepting, that's a terrible way to say it. But we know that's not okay. And that they don't play as jokes anymore. No. Um, but, but... Where am I going with this? Uh, the movie's... I guess I'm just impressed rewatching it because I this is the kind of movie I used to rewatch all the time, uh, and didn't think about it the way I would think about it watching with you, in that it holds up in the sense of how self-aware it is of his flaws as a character. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she has a voice in the movie. She. Oh, she. Uh, you know. Well, how like, do you feel about that? Like this is my. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like. I mean, I don't know. If th- she has a voice. I feel like it, she finds her voice yeah. throughout the course of the movie. Um, and the closer she gets to finding her voice, the further away she moves from him. Because mm-hmm. um, he hates everything. Yeah. But what I, I guess what I'm just trying to get at, and I'm, and I'm curious your opinion of it, is that, you know, for a movie that is written and directed by this guy, Yeah. Um, I think it, he does give the female character a point of view that doesn't necessarily paint him in the most kind of light. Fair. You know? Yeah. yeah. Which is what I was getting at in terms of like, that's rare for movies of this age. And I think that's what was so refreshing about this movie. She gives him a, okay, I see what you're saying. Cause you get, cause the point of view is of him. Yeah. I was seeing point of view as being like on the world in general. Yeah. Yeah. No, I meant like that he's, it's so he's allowing that character to be shown for his warts and, is isn't yeah although to be to be fair to that i was like he's with some very sexy women there's also that that's just a woody allen trope you know like some very beautiful sexy women are are finding this like self-loathing hates everything nebish jew damn interesting <laughs> like yeah i can't apologize for that no and he's like, oh, I'm so loathsome. They're like, no, I find you fascinating. <laughs> but you know what? Believe it or not, and, you know, this Woody Allen was at one point considered a sex symbol. Oh, I believe that because talent is very sexy. Sure. But that's not what he was playing. He was playing this, like... No, this very Hard neurotic. to like, yeah, character. Yeah. The original... Where's the case? Is it back there? Is it... Who's yeah. mine? Um, I'm never going to pronounce it properly, um, but just before we, I mean, there's a million, we can have, we can talk about this movie all night. Um, I'm just looking at it because I'll never pronounce it properly. Originally, um, what's fascinating about this movie was that it was never intended to be this movie. It was originally called, I'm going to say it wrong, uh, Anhedonia. Uh, which is the inability to experience joy is it's the the technical term for mm-hmm. that, um, and it was originally uh, intended to be like a surrealist visual odyssey that took place inside his mind, and their story was just a very small part of it. Okay. Um, it there was like a scene they did with where he, with the New York Knicks. There was all this extra stuff. The the original cut of the movie was three hours long, um, and it was a very 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 different movie. And, and it wasn't working. Um, 
Well, that element is still alive with like the inner monologue subtitles and the talking to the camera and the split screen. Like, there's definitely elements of that surrealism that's left over. Yeah, that survives. But like those other relationships with Shelley Duvall and the woman who plays uh, his second wife and and also Carol Kane, Mm -hmm. uh, those are much longer stories and as long as um, Diane Keaton's story. Oh, wow. And then when when they're editing uh, Ralph Rosenblum. Leon's editor at this point in time, uh, it just wasn't working. It just didn't make not. I don't. It didn't make sense. It just wasn't working, and so they just started carving away stuff, and eventually found this inside of it and realized it's about the story about you and her. Like Diane was clearly the most engaging part of the movie, and it's like the movie should be about that relationship. Um, it's fascinating, and so he Woody Allen himself views this movie as a colossal failure, because the movie that he had in his mind, he didn't achieve. Right. And this is a compromise for what he was originally intending. Um, Anyway, just to to give some context about the movie behind the movie, and and because it was never constructed this way in script form or anything, this is a movie that was completely created inside the editing room uh, out of raw materials that were intended to be something else. Hmm. It's still still very surreal. Um, That said, knowing that now... And just having watched it and how it is all out of order uh, and all that kind of stuff. How did you feel about that structure for the movie watching it? I didn't... I didn't love that. I didn't love the devices that he was using, the surrealist devices. Because it, it makes sense now knowing that it was, you know, sort of pared down from a much larger piece. But I, if that was what it was going to be, then I wanted it to be sort of consistent throughout the course mm-hmm. of the film. Sort of like all or nothing for me. Yeah, it's a mishmash of mm-hmm. a bunch of different mm-hmm. things you're trying. And that's, I think, what I... When I... I first saw this movie when I was at film school. Um, and someone had loaned it to me I hadn't seen it before. And I was just blown away by all all of that. Like, I really, really loved that, those aspects of it. Because I hadn't seen that before. Right. And I just loved how the surrealist moments got to something that was a little more real but in a weird way you know just I, I thought you know the oh, stuff see, for me that all felt like parody like when he was yeah. stopping people on the street and talking to the horse and it was all this sort of parody it didn't feel um, like a deeper reality it felt like a mockumentary mm. yeah it's, it's a, and watching it now it's a weird it's, it's still a, it's a weird thing and, it, and you would never do that in a movie now you'd have that you'd pick one of those elements and use that probably, or a couple of them, but it kind of feels like a free for all, right? You know, in the middle of the movie, all of a sudden it cuts to animation, yeah, for you know just ten twenty seconds, and like it is. overtly sexual animation too. Like you can see, it's Snow White's, it's the Evil Queen. You can see like her nipples and yeah, <laughs> you're like, what? It's is not the this? Disney version. No, yeah. no. I have to say though. And this is just sort of the the New York freak in me. Looking at New York in the 70s and the fashion and the kinds of faces that were on the street and the buildings and all that. I loved that. I loved, yeah, loved that. Yeah, Gordon Willis shot it. And Gordon Willis also shot the Godfather movies. Mm. Um, and he worked with uh, Woody on a couple, a bunch of movies. But yeah, it's like, what's... Um, and Woody Allen says this himself. He says that the only value his movies have is as a time capsule of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> New York is so amazing and the 70s was sort of right on the edge of that whole, like, you know, 
I think it's just before Giuliani came in and, and threw all the hookers in jail, essentially. Like, it was still kind of dirty and seedy yeah. and sexy in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a romantic period in there. Um, yeah. But then you've got what's interesting, too, especially in this, this time period of filmmaking, you've got, you know, Woody Allen's version of New York, and then you've got Martin Scorsese's version of New York, mm-hmm. and they're very different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Scorsese very much plays into the... Uh, the seedier underbelly of, of New York and, and well, culturally they're going after just different people. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. but they're contemporaries. Yeah, you know they even did um, them and who was the third? Coppola. They did uh, this anthology film called New York Stories, mm-hmm. and it was Woody Allen, Scorsese, and Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and Sofia Coppola wrote it when she was like she's seven at the time, seven or very young. This was. I'm not. I'm thinking of the age wrong. I have to look it up. But when they did this, people this, are yelling at you through the probably that's okay. Yell, uh, post it, tweet it. Um, <laughs> but they, she was a kid because it, it's just an anthology film. They both, they all wrote like a half an hour short kind of thing. What? And and they played it kind of like the way Four Rooms, remember mm-hmm, the movie Four mm-hmm, Rooms, mm-hmm. or so something like that. Um, and Woody Allen's is pretty good. Martin Scorsese's is amazing. It's the best one in there. And the Coppola one's a weird one. And, that, and that's what I do remember is that Sophia co-wrote it with her dad. But at the time, she was she could have been eight years old. She was very, very young. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. I don't. In what way? Well, because I don't understand how an eight-year-old writes a film. Well, with her dad, I think he's like, give me some... I, they came up with a story together. He did the, the line share of the... The typing, yeah. the typing, but they share screenwriting credit for it. That's I don't I don't know I don't know how to process that information. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, what else? What else? There's so much. Uh, tell me things. Well, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the whole Woody Allen thing like that. Okay. We have to address that. Sure. I have to address that. Okay. Because that, I mean... It colors the way you watch the movie. Well, also because I feel like at the beginning of these podcasts, you normally go, so why haven't you watched this movie yet? Right. And you didn't do that this time. Um, oh, yeah. No, you didn't. And I what, I mean, first of all, it was a little before my time. Sure. Um, and, and what I really find interesting um, is, because I know lots of people who are diehard Woody Allen fans... Um, and this is sort of a conversation that I want to have because I'm, I can understand separating the artist from the work. Mm-hmm. Like going like, I don't condone the human, yeah. but I can look at the, but they're, but I can separate them out from their work and enjoy their work um, in a vacuum as it were. What I can't, what I do struggle with is people who go, no, he's a terrible human being. Um, or no, not no, he's a terrible human being, but go like, you know. Actually, who do the like, I don't don't know, I'm not sure, who sort of sit on the fence with it, but love the work. Because I I sort of am like, well, but you have an opinion about it one way or the other. So I'm sort of curious about that with you, because I know that you love Woody Allen. Right. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's like I'm probably one of those people that I don't, I don't think I sit in the fence, but I, you know, I've read every article that's come out and all the interviews and everything because... It's one of those things when one of your idols is accused of, of the things that he's been accused of over mm-hmm. time, you kind of want to know, or at least you can't just put your head in the sand and go, well, I, it doesn't, artist, art, <coughs> and the two are separated. 
Um, and I and I we were talked about it kind of before the movie, and yeah. we stopped because you're like, this is gonna color the movie. Yeah. Uh, Which it did to some extent. Yeah, and that's and that's my bad. And, and so I'm kind of, I think if I have a stance, it's that I'm agnostic to it, where I know I I know enough and have read enough to know that nothing conclusive has ever come out. So okay, so it's not about you going. I separate the artist from the work. It's you going like, I fall on the side of like, I don't think there's enough evidence to condemn him. Therefore, I can look past that and just enjoy the work on its own and enjoy and continue to enjoy him. Yeah, I guess. I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that's I'm fine. I mean... Going, is this what I'm hearing from you? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think I'll watch anymore Woody Allen. I wanted to watch this with you because I knew this was a seminal film for you and I've been very curious about it for yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. and this felt like the right forum. But I... I can't get, I, I stumble on this massively and, and, um, you know, it's too bad because I know that I'm in the pantheon of film. He's considered one of the great filmmakers. Um, and I've had this argument with people before who are like, well, if he asked you to be in one of his films, like you'd say no. And it's like, that's a real sort of position of privilege to me to, to hypothesize turning sure. down to Woody Allen. Um, but yeah, it just it sort of sours me. But people have had that comment too. They're like, if if he is this monster, why are why are all these great top actors still working with him? And they make that claim too. I'm not justifying that. Yeah, yeah. But but that is the conversation people have every time he makes a new movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's an important conversation to have because I think that there's a lot of artists out there who I mean, Chris Brown. Chris Brown like went to straight up jail and then was nominated for a Grammy a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I really struggle because I'm like, I want to take all of his music off of my iPod, but there's one song that I just haven't released <laughs> yet. For real, because yeah. I'm like, I really like this song to work out to, and I feel shitty doing it. And to be fair, it's like, because I, you know, I don't know how my relationship with Woody Allen movies has, has changed since all of that, too, regardless of how much research I've done and my, if I've formed an agnostic opinion, uh, because I know that I... You know, I don't. I don't rush out to see the new one right away the way I used to. Right. You know, I haven't even watched his Amazon series yet, even though it's been out for. He's an Amazon series. He did like a six-part Amazon series oh, yeah. called cool. uh, "Crisis and Six Scenes" or something, something along those title lines. You know, and that's something that, you know, me ten years ago would have been chomping at the bit to get of to. Of course. So I don't. I don't know if there's some subconscious thing in me, and I don't rewatch Woody Allen as much as I used to either. So I don't know if there is something subconscious Maybe. to me that makes me not revisit or it's just that there's so much content now, I don't feel the need to revisit, you know? So. I wasn't a fan. Like, that's the thing. Yeah, like, yeah, when, yeah. And so it all came at me at the same time. Yeah. Like, the awareness of Woody Allen and uh, how prolific he was, as well as all of this other baggage, came at me at the same time. And much like you said, there's so much content out there that I was sort of like, mm. I don't need to, you know, if it's on, if I'm somewhere, if it's on, maybe I'll watch some of it, but I'm not seeking it out in any way, shape, or form. Having said that, this was lovely. I mean, it for me, it had its flaws as a film in terms of, you know, like we said, stylistically, it being a little all over the road because it was an edited down version of a three-hour film, so it had these um, surrealistic things pop in and out that I personally would have liked to have seen either more or less of. Mm-hmm. But, like, Diane Keaton is a revelation. She is just a complete delight. And it's very interesting to see him play off of someone who he obviously loves in real life. Because mm-hmm. I've never seen that. The only Woody Allen films I've seen where he's in them, he's 
playing like off of Scarlett Johansson or something where it's kind right. of like, okay, all right, settle down. Yeah. Yeah, that's a trope of his. He, yeah. He, he gets to bed the beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they had a, a real relationship. And, and at this point of this movie, it's, and, and this movie is somewhat autobiographical to their relationship You can well. see that. Yeah. You can see, and you can see for that reason, like, why she would have left him. Because she's like, you're great, and you're an auteur, and I like being your muse, but I, yeah. you're draining. I want to I want to go to the party where Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston are. Yeah. But it's, it's also the difference between, like, you know, Charlie Chaplin isn't the tramp, just like the Woody Allen character isn't Woody Allen, right? Isn't he? No, that's, it's, it's like a character that he's created. So he's suave in real life? Oh, I don't think he's... Well, I mean, he's he's played suave versions of this character. But he does play a very certain type. And he, I mean, he's mentioned that. He's used the... the I'm, not, I'm stealing the Chaplin analogy. Right. He's used it himself. Um, because I think it's... You know, especially with him, it's like he's he still wears the glasses in real life. He has the exact same quote-unquote costume, whereas Chaplin looked different in real life yeah. than he did from the Tramp. But the affectation, is that not him? No. No. No, like the stuttering and the rambling and that no. kind of stuff. No, that that's very much his act. Like he, when he started doing stand up, he created this persona, as as a lot of stand ups do. They create kind of who they are as the comic, huh? Uh, and that just carried through with him as a performer as well. Yeah, you know, he's not a, a terrible uh, an actor with a tremendous amount of range. No, obviously. was he a successful stand up? Like when did yeah. the movie making flip over? Well, he he was—I mean—he was a, a comedy writer when he was a teenager. He was writing jokes for Sid Caesar and shows like that, and and then was, and that's kind of they deal with that in this movie too, where you see him writing. He has that moment with that terrible comedian. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I got I got to work up the nerve to do my own jokes, and eventually worked up the nerve to start doing his own bits on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every his whole career came out of a stand-up. Really, um, he was, a, you know, a pretty successful stand-up comedian. Wow, for a while, but but he also didn't stick with it. Once he started making movies, that became his thing, right? He didn't stick. It wasn't like he's Does Bob. He, is Pope. he in anyone else's films, or is he only in his own? He's done a couple. He did um, a Bette Midler movie called Scenes from a Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They played a couple. Didn't yeah, they? he was the. He played opposite Sylvester Stallone in Ants. If you recall, oh god, that Jim uh, Works yeah. movie, I think yeah. it was. Uh, not not a lot, but he has been in. You know, he's been in at least a handful of movies. He did a movie a couple of years ago with John Turturro, uh, that John Turturro wrote and directed. Oh, so with uh, Sharon Stone, I saw that. The, the Fading Gigolo, I think. Yeah, was yeah, yeah, I saw that at TIFF. Um, yeah, that's where I saw it too. Uh, so he's did done... we see it together? No. Did we? No, I saw it with uh, Emily. Oh. I saw it with Hannah Cheeseman. Never mind, I took it back. Sorry. Shout out to Hannah Cheeseman. Cheese! Um, so, he every now and then he pop, he would pop up in someone else's movie, but not often. And, you know, still being himself, playing the Woody Allen character. Right. Yeah, I just... Well, and that's the other problem with what I understand about him from Vanity Fair articles and what have you, is the Woody Allen character plays into that sort of pedophilia, nervous, anxious... Like, he looks like the dude that sits too close to me on the bus. Right. Like, he, he that whole thing, that whole energy that he's giving off projects this, like, uncomfortableness that uh, 
is contagious. That makes me go, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very strange. It's very, very strange. Yeah. But he was... Cont- I, I don't know. I'd love to talk to someone from that era uh, about, like, Woody Allen, the sex sim- symbol. He was a sex symbol? Really? Yeah. All right. Okay, yeah. I'll take your word for it. Look, look, look it up. That's not, I, I, uh, I, I was shocked when I heard that. I think one of my aunts mentioned, talked about it once too, about how, and I think we talked about it earlier, but the, it's the intellectualism and that kind of thing, right? It's no, different. smart is sexy, talented is sexy, 100%, 100%. That's actually an interesting point in the movie. What is it that about him that attracts, like we never see the tennis match. But she leaves that tennis match just, like, dying to talk to him. Not the tall, handsome, you know... Well, he was with the other girl already. Yeah, but still, like, they could have gone off and had a gay old time. But she, like, waited to talk to him. And they were playing on the same team. We We saw no sort of, like, chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, I assume that the other two had orchestrated them to meet. Right. Um... And that she's probably new to town or has been in town for a little while and hasn't met anybody. And so this was very much uh, her friend probably egging her and going, just talk to him, meet him, you know. I, that's the backstory I create right. to make sense of, of that. He's just so disinterested in her off the top and she's so desperate for his attention. Yeah. And like floundering. It's interesting. It's interesting. What does he do to earn that? Yeah, what is, why is she so taken with him? He's not even making eye contact with her. Is it that thing? Is it the, like, ignore a woman? Uh, Isn't that one of the quotes at the beginning? No. Not in this movie. No. No. I don't think he's trying to play a game with her. Um, I just meant more the filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, you could (laughs) could argue that she, I I don't know if I've ever read this anywhere, but you could... And this predates the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, and I think she's more than that um, in this movie. Because she has her own story. She grows in her own way. Where Yeah, I wouldn't call her a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. No, but in that scene, you could argue she is. Because what is her motivation to talk to this guy who doesn't seem interested? Other than the fact that the movie needs, us, needs her yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, but that—that's the scene where she's so charming, you know, too. So I, I, I forgive it because she's just so amazing in her awkwardness and nervousness and la di da. Yeah, but you're right. It's like it would have been nice to see a moment inside the tennis match that justifies why she. She's so turned on by him and just desperate to to spend time with him, and he's so disinterested. Yeah. Huh. I think he's. I read it as he's more... No, I guess disinterested is right. I was going to say that he's just kind of surprised by her. Mm. He keeps her back to her, his back to her for most of the scene. He's back in his bag. Yeah, he could stop and turn and talk Fair. to the beautiful woman who's like falling all over herself. Especially when he, he points out, he's like, why did you, you know, ask if... Uh, see if I was driving, if you had a car. Like... He sort of acknowledges that she's making a fool of herself, and but not even like giving her the time of day. And then gets up to her apartment, which is a disaster. Yeah. Which he never comments on, which is so strange. That's got bad plumbing and bugs. Yeah, but it's like a mess. It's yeah. a mess, a mess. And then she does the, you're a real Jew. And then we get all the subtext about, I would love to see you naked. <laughs> I was like, where did this turn come? I don't understand. Yeah. 
There's a lot of randomness to that. I love that bit. I love it. was interesting. I watched this the first time I showed this to Emily, it was playing at uh, the Review Cinema, one of the rep cinemas in the West End. And for some reason, the print that they showed didn't have the subtitles in that scene. Oh. And I, and I kind of had this nerd panic. I was like, I just looking at her. She's like, what? What's wrong? I was like, similar to the scene. She's like, looks fine. I can hear it. I can see it. I'm like, no, there's supposed to be subtitles. Why would there be subtitles? Well, it's not like we're, it's, it's their inner thoughts. And she just looked at me like I was a moron. Such a nerd thing. <laughs> it's like, so then right after we went back to my, this is when we just first started dating. Went back to my place. I'm, like, I'm going to play the scene for you so you can see how it was supposed to be played. <laughs> just so you understand why I was looking weird at the time. Which is really an excuse just to get her back in your apartment. We'd already done that. Oh. Um, so you were not interested in having her back in your apartment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. It was, yeah, there's still a ploy there too. <laughs> Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this movie is, there's a poster of this movie in my house. You know, it's it, it stayed with me. Um, there's when for my 25th birthday, uh, Emily and I had only been together for not even a year at that point. I don't think we weren't living together yet. Uh, she had a surprise party for me Aww. and invited all my friends and rented a theater and what we watched Annie Hall. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So you, I mean, like this movie is sentimental. Yes, for you, there's also beyond. That. So I feel like the politics. Yeah, you've separated all that out because it's it would, it's t- it would it's, it's mire hard. all of this like lovely memories that you have throughout your life. It's tough. I mean, I've I've watched every you know I have all of them, uh, and you know I, I've spent a lot of my creative energies and juices watching, reading about Woody and all that kind of stuff and studying it. So yeah, it is tough. It is, and maybe part of it, part of the me wanting to play the fence sitter is that it's like you don't want to discover all that time you spent and invested is in someone that's done something that is reprehensible you know i made a someone i can't remember what the reference was but it was something it was like it was a cosby show reference it was like a song or something that i only knew because i watched the cosby show growing up and I said it to someone. I was like, oh, well, they said the thing. And they did not know the reference. I was like, well, we've all watched The Cosby Show. And they looked at me and went, you watched The Cosby Show? Everyone watched The Cosby Show. And I was show. like, yeah, but this person was like 25. Right. And I went, I did. And they're like, I can't believe you would do I'm like, no, no, we all watched The Cosby Show. That was the era. I, yeah. That it, it's not, I was not endorsing it now. But I feel guilty because I loved The Cosby Show. And a different world. Yeah. And a different world. It's where you come from. But yeah. Now, to go back and watch the reruns, I don't know if I could enjoy it the same way. I, I wonder how they stand up outside of, you know, what we're talking about. Just in terms of, are they still, would they still be funny outside of, if, what came to life? Well, the fact that he's an OBGYN would not be funny anymore. <laughs> like, the fact that he has women in the basement would not be a delight. Yeah, his clinic was yeah. in the basement. Ah! Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is what I'm saying. So it sort of it sort of ruins. It magnifies everything. Yeah. So you you kind of go okay. I'm seeing this through a different lens, and I want to be respectful of you know because when you know better, you do better. Thank you, Maya Angelou. But but at the same time, like this is this is encapsulated in a moment in time. Like I I watched it differently then because I was coming to it differently, and I don't think it's like. I don't think it's like hindsight racism. I don't think it's like that thing that my grandparents said things that were racist. They didn't, they weren't trying to be racist. They just didn't have better language. I think it really is this, this sort of like separating out the artist from the art and going, 
what can you live with and what can't you? Yeah, but it's also it's like you you haven't seen as much, but you know there's there's threads inside the Woody Allen movies. Like you watch Manhattan. Manhattan's about uh, he has a relationship with uh, a girl in high school. Is the man with That's Meryl Hemingway? Yeah. You know, there's the there's a moment in Annie Hall where his best friend talks about how he just left 16-year-old twins. Which, again, that is, so, like, I can't, no one, beyond that it's, they're 16, that's incest, right? Like, everyone recognizes Oh, there's that too. Incest, like, we just walk there's right a, past there's that There's a thing. whole bunch of stuff going on in there. Yeah. Yeah, but, and I don't know how that was received at the time, but I don't, nothing you read in literature-wise, no one brings it up. No. They, they just kind of go, oh, it's a thing. It wasn't that cute he said that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's fascinating. But there is, you know, there's a hit, you know, you look at, he's got certain things that blend in from life to the movies where it's like definitely an interest in, in women that are of a younger mm-hmm. age than himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could argue that that's steeped in the idea that he wants to be the intellectual. And so it's really easy to do that when you're dating someone who's younger and impressionable. That's also not unusual. Like sure. that's not an unusual trope. That's something that we've all experienced at some point or another. Yeah, exactly. Or at least in my experience as a woman, that's a real sort of common thing. Yeah. So that's what that that muddies it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. But I'm glad that I saw it because I also feel like it's a bit of a cultural touchstone anyhow. And to have not seen it is like to not have seen The Godfather. Yeah. No, and, and what I take away from this movie, what I continue to love love for it, and is, is the idea that it's... And what makes it universal, I think, um, and still stand up today, is the fact it's everyone, most of us have had that relationship that did not work out. But you don't regret it because it helped you get to the next place you needed to be mm-hmm. and have a better relationship or, or you, you learn something about yourself that you wouldn't have known if you hadn't had it mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to going back and saying oh I wasted two years of my life you know you go yeah I wait I, I lost a couple years of my life being with that person but I know a bit more about myself now I, I there's something in there that was valuable I don't disagree with you. I'm trying to figure out if that's true for the Diane Keaton character in it, for Annie's character in it. I think so. I think she grows a lot. I think she becomes more confident, you know, through going to therapy, you know, doing some, going back to school and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, he helped her with that. You know, who knows if she would have gotten around to that anyway. She was, she seemed to be interested in people like him. So it's impossible to know, but I think... I think you would argue that she would probably look back on their relationship as a stepping stone in her life. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think he looks at it back and realizing that she was a great person and I didn't treat her as well as I should have. But he does that with other women in the film. He's like, why did I let Allison go? She was great. She was beautiful. She loved me. It's that, it's that you know, being in the club that would have you as a member. Yeah. That's his flaw. But but he states that like right in that, yeah. that thematic statement. And he comes back around at the end with the secondary. What's the the last quote of the film? Uh, the eggs one. The we I need the eggs. Right. Why do you? My wife thinks I'm a ch- she's a chicken. Why don't you turn? My, yeah, brother. My brother thinks he's a chicken. Is like, <coughs> well, why do you? Have him committed. I need, he's the like, eggs. Well, I need the eggs. 
That's the idea. It's like, why do you do relationships that hurt? It's like, because they sometimes make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and you never know. Maybe I'll get my shit together next time? Yeah. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Yeah, repeating the same thing. In and expecting... hoping for a different outcome? Yeah. But I think that's what, I think it what works in the end for his. Like, he doesn't come out as a hero of the movie. You know, he comes out as a guy who's still as confused as he went in. But at least he's aware of it, you know? There's some self-awareness that I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that he, I feel like the ending where he's like, yeah, I'm a schmuck. I fucked it up. I always fuck it up. I mean, there. Uh, I I do think the fact that he, like, makes the play where it's like, it's a happy ending and I love you is kind of like, did you learn your lesson? Did you? But he has that self-aware moment. He's like, I know what I did. <laughs> he's aware of it. Um, but, but just, con- you know, contextually too, no movie, no romantic comedy had ever ended like this, you know, at the time. No? Like we look at it now and we go, oh, that's, you know, it's a down ending or it's a, not a, it's not all wrapped up in a pretty bow, but not, not a lot of movies were ending that way in, in up to 70, 70, especially, I mean, dramas. Yeah, sure. Right. Foreign films and that kind the of stuff. The way we were and all that. Yeah. But in terms of like comedies that were relationship movies it pretty much ended with everyone in a relationship and happy i'm trying to think of other examples of ones that are similar to this that predate it um but it was kind of this movie is and why it remains a classic i think is because it was one of the movies that reinvented (laughs) what a romantic comedy could be right I do think we have to also give a shout out to all of the delightful cameos of right? some younger, uh, great actors. Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Walken, Paul Simon is a revelation in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> he can't keep eye contact. He's like looking off nervously the whole time. He's not a great actor. No, he's a terrible actor. But what I thought was really interesting is um, he's really short. Yes. And with this really tall, beautiful woman. Uh, and so is Woody Allen, essentially. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In contrast, um, have you ever seen a movie called uh, Carnal Knowledge? No, I know Ma- it. Mike Nichols' film, Jack Nichols in yeah. the lead. Uh, Art Garfunkel is the second male lead. Oh, really? And he's a good actor. Really? So, if you want to do a Simon and Garfunkel double feature, <laughs> Carnal Knowledge is the next, is the next step. Good to know. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad you watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, I'm glad you watched it. But I, for you in particular, I was, I was just curious because I hadn't, I haven't revisited it in a while and I knew you would have strong opinions. Um, Did I live up to that expectation? Yeah. No, but it's good because I, I, I was curious how, again, it's like you're going to see the movie in a way that I wouldn't see it. Absolutely. And I'm interested in that. Also, too many lobsters. Just too you many You were lobsters. freaked out by the lobsters. I don't lobsters. like lobsters. They stress me out. And the fact they were on the loose and people were rubbing them in other people's faces, I did not enjoy that at all. That's one of like the most charming scenes in no, the movie. No, it's and not. And you were terrified. I hated it. I hated it. I got fetal whenever they came on the screen. You were, and I lied to you. I'm like, there's no more lobsters. And then there were more lobsters. I forgot about the end montage. Ugh. Fuck. All right. That's a good note. There are no more lobsters. No movies with lobsters for Jess. If we can avoid it, I would appreciate it. I'll that. do my best. I can't remember every scene in every movie, but we'll, we'll try to avoid lobster. You were a good friend. You would. <laughs> I'm 
free script. Google Lobster. And free Lobster the, the movies. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, thanks for coming out. Thanks for having me. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Thanks for joining us for Annie Hall. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. Leave a review wherever you listen to this thing. And, you know, rate it, too, if that's a possibility. You can find me on Twitter at Jeremy, And on Facebook, check out Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get